Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, good morning, Berlin. What a pleasure to be here with you this morning. And, uh, you know, I have to say, you worried me a little bit uh, because I spoke here some time ago. And I'm used to the fact that after I speak, sometimes I don't get invited back. So it had been a long time. And so thank you for having me back. I appreciate that so much. Uh, I think most of you guys are, uh, are aware that deer season is, is upon us. And uh, I, I love the story about uh, the doctor, the lawyer, and the preacher. We're buddies, and they've gone deer hunting together. So uh, they're in the woods, and it's about dark so they're getting ready to come out and so they all kind of gathered together and while they gathered together a trophy buck walked right out in front of them and they were all amazed they kind of looked at one another and all three threw up their guns and shot that big buck bounded off about 15-20 yards and then fell over dead about that time the game warden walked up he said boys it's still legal you killed a big one. And they kind of walked over and realized there was only one bullet hole in the deer. And so they're looking at one another wondering who, who, who shot the deer. The game warden said, let me look. Maybe I can tell you. And so he kind of looked down, stood right back up. He says, oh, this one's easy. I know exactly who shot the deer. They said, who? They said, the preacher. They said, what? how do you know the preacher shot the deer? Said it went in one ear and out the other. I'm, I'm used to that, so I think, mean, you know, uh, but thank you. Let's be praying uh, for Brother uh, Mike. Uh, he is uh, uh, in Brazil, and uh, they speak Portuguese down there, and uh, that's even a little different than Spanish. In any other language I've ever tried to speak, I still spoke with a, a southern accent, so it makes life interesting. Here's the other thing that's interesting in that kind of environment. Uh, say, you, you have to use an interpreter. And so if your sermon is 30 minutes long, he's having to say it after you say it, so that means it's an hour long. But they don't have a whole lot else to do down there, so they're, uh, they're, they're kind of comfortable with that. Uh, but uh, be praying uh, for Brother Mike. If you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 13. And uh, we'll kind of work our way through several verses, but a key verse for us is verse... 14, and I, I'm a history buff. Uh, I love history, particularly American history. But I don't just love history, I love biographies. And I always learn something from biographies, I learn something about biographies. The greatest biographies are generally written about the greatest men and the greatest women. And the great men and women who have lived before us can teach us how to succeed in handling success and also how to avoid failure or handle failure when it happens. So uh, today we're going to be looking at a man who um, many would say was the greatest king who ever lived. He was a king who both succeeded fantastically and failed miserably. 
He knew the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. He knew what it was to climb to the top of the mountain of prosperity and to fall into the deepest valley of adversity. If you've gotten over into First uh, Samuel 13, you probably have already figured out I'm going to be uh, talking about David. David lived 3,000 years ago. And if you wonder why anybody would be interested in studying the life of a man who's been gone for 3,000 years, at first glance, that would be a good question. When you first run across David in Scripture, there's nothing about him that would have impressed you. He was a, a typical Jewish boy, most likely would have been average height, average weight. He didn't come from a rich family. In fact, he was nothing more than a shepherd. He came from a hick town called Bethlehem. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to the Holy Land, but uh, Bethlehem is probably no bigger than Sally. If you had been living on the farm next door to David's family, you probably wouldn't have even known the kid's name. How he even ended up being king is a, a hilarious, hilarious story. Because when God told the priest Samuel to go to a man named Jesse and look for a king among his sons, Jesse paraded seven of his sons in front of Samuel. And not one of them won the beauty contest. In fact, they weren't even first runner-up. And so Samuel had to ask, you got any other boys? And his dad basically said, well, I've got one other. He's my youngest son. He's just a shepherd. And because he's just a shepherd and spends all his time with sheep, he smells terrible. All he really knows how to do is take care of sheep. That was the one God chose. And there's more. Would it surprise you to learn that more has been written about David than any other character in the Bible outside of Jesus? Sixty-six chapters in the Bible are dedicated to David. The New Testament talks about David more than any other Old Testament character. Why is so much written about this man David? I mean, after all, David wasn't the only king that Israel had. He wasn't even the only great king Israel had. He certainly wasn't the only shepherd we read about in the Bible. He was a warrior, but he wasn't the only warrior. He wrote a lot of songs, but he didn't write all the songs. So why David? Why all this emphasis on David? And why should we be excited when we spend some time this morning looking at the life of this man? Well, I believe it's because of something that's said about David that's not said about anybody else, not only in the Bible, but in all of history. And it's said about him twice. We're, looking, we're going to look at the first verse, verse 14, in just a moment. First, just a little bit of history. At times, America has been compared to Israel. But in actuality, there are big differences between Israel and America. You see, America rebelled against Great Britain. Why? They didn't want a king. Israel rebelled against God because they did want a king. Israel 
had to have a king. God never wanted them to have a king. You know why Israel wanted a king? Because everybody else had a king. For 400 years, Israel hadn't had a king. Well, they had a king. But it wasn't just a king. It was the king of kings. God was their ruler. They were under what was known as a theocracy. And then, that's where Israel and America are different. America didn't want to be like Great Britain. America didn't want to be like France or any of the other nations of the world. They didn't want a king. Israel wanted a king. Every other nation had a king. Why couldn't they be like all the other nations? They wanted to be just like everybody else. So they got a king. And it was the king they really wanted. It was a guy by the name of Saul. He was taller than anybody else. He was stronger than anybody else. He was more handsome than anybody else. He looked like a king. You know, image is everything, right? But they chose image over integrity. They chose charisma over character. They chose appearance over substance. See, what was on the outside of Saul wasn't what was on the inside. They chose the cover rather than the book. But we all know God doesn't look at others the way we look at others. He doesn't evaluate others the way we do. He doesn't accuse others the way we do. God is now telling Saul in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 13 why he no longer is going to be king. And this is what he says. He says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to know everything I can learn, everything I can find out about a man who was called after God's own heart. To know the man who was the heartthrob of God. How many times have you ever found yourself in uh, the wrong place, in the wrong situation, in the wrong position? <laughs> Some of you might be there right now. And if we'll be honest with ourselves, 99.99% of the time, the reason why we end up in the wrong place, in the wrong situation, in the wrong condition, is because we're following the wrong thing. Kind of sounds like America right now, doesn't it? So how do you think your life would be different? How do you think your life would be better if every day your number one goal was to go after not success, not fame, not fortune, but to go after God's own heart? Because when you're following God's heart, you'll always end up in the right place. You'll always be in the right situation in the right condition. And so that leads me to ask a question. What was it about David that made him a man after God's own heart? And if there are things we can see that made him a man after God's own heart, are those things also true and they'll make us people after God's own heart? I think so. Here's the first thing. 
If you're going to be a person after God's own heart, you have to walk with God faithfully. When you are after God's heart, you have to have a heart for God. When you have a heart for God, you will have a walk with God. And there are two things that are true. Two things that have to be true. If you're going to walk with God, and they were true about David, here's the first thing. If you're going to walk with God faithfully, you have got to love God's Word. David loved God's law. He loved God's Word. Out of the 150 Psalms in the Bible, David wrote over half of them. And many of them are talking about his love for God's Word. David loved God's Word, even when God's Word condemned him. He loved God's law, even when he was confronted with having broken that law. And the reason it's so important that we love God's Word is because when we do, it will always keep God where He belongs. And it will keep you where you belong. You see, even before David became king, when he was a shepherd, he always knew who the shepherd really was. And that's why he would write those words, The Lord is my shepherd. And when he became king, he knew how he became king. He knew who the real king was. And he never let the crown that he wore, or the kingdom he ruled, or the enemies that he conquered, go to his head. He knew that without God, he would still have been a shepherd. He knew that without God, Goliath would have eaten his lunch. He knew that without God, that uh, barren lion that he talked about killing would have killed him. So if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to be a person after God's own heart, you're going to love His Word. But you won't just love His Word. Here's the second thing you have to do. You'll live God's Word. Now this is the second time we're told this about David. Here in Acts 13.22. In Acts 13.22, listen to the full statement. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after God's own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, David wasn't the only Jew who knew the law. He wasn't the only one who respected the law, revered the law, loved the law. What was it that made David a cut above everyone else? It was the way his heart was pointed towards God. He had one major desire, and that was to follow God's will and do everything God wanted him to do. Sure, there were times he got off that path, but he always came back. See, if you love God, you're going to love God's law. And when you love God's law, God's law is going to be in your heart. And when God's law is in your heart, His love will capture your heart. And when God's love captures your heart, you want to live out God's law that He's put in your heart. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is found in Isaiah 48, where it says, The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the Word of our God endures forever. When you have a heart for God, when you're after God's heart, what burdens Him burdens you. 
What delights Him delights you. What's important to Him is important to you. When He says go, you go. When He says stop, you stop. When He says speak, you speak. When He says change, you change. And I know how it is about change. The only person I've ever known who was really excited about change was a baby with a wet diaper. We don't like it, but when God says do it, we do it. I want to share something with you about uh, this, this book we call the Bible. And if you don't remember anything else, don't, don't forget this. See, this book is not just a book to be read, even though you ought to read it. It's not a book just to be explained, just to be memorized. It's not a book even just to be believed. This is a book to be obeyed. And there are times when we have to do certain things that don't make sense to us. Uh, the story was told about uh, a young man being in the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, the Marines have a, a reputation for how they train their soldiers. And this new recruit was kind of struggling about the way he was being trained. He was just frustrated because... The drill instructor had an obsession about doing just the little things right. For example, when you held your tray in the food line, every man was forced to hold his hands in a certain position. They were required to have their right hand on the bottom corner and their left hand on the top corner and hold their tray flat against their chest until it was time to put food in it. And if they failed to hold that tray exactly as they were instructed to hold the tray, they were verbally chastised, pulled out of the line, and made to do push-ups. He was thinking to himself, I'm just standing in line to get some food. Why does it matter how I hold my tray? Later on, when he took his first weapon, he was amazed to see how he was instructed to hold his rifle whether he was running or marching. It was just like he was told to hold his food tray. See, what seemed like something small, what seemed like something insignificant, could actually turn out to save his life. Now, I know I date myself when I use certain illustrations, but do any of you remember the Karate Kid movies? you remember Mr. Miyagi? Wax on, wax off. See, he didn't understand when he was doing that. He thought he was just... Uh, uh, that he just thought he was working, you know, paint the fence, sand the floor. When you walk with God faithfully, what you want to do is you want to love God's law, and you want to live God's law. And sometimes you may not understand certain things about it, but God is clear about what he wants you to do. People all the time are asking me about God's will. How can I know God's will for my life? I'm going to tell you two things you can know about God's will for your life. Here's the first thing you can know without a shadow of a doubt. God wants you into a right relationship with Him that's only possible through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us and then rose again from the dead. God wants you to accept that gift. You don't have to worry about that. You can know that. And here's the second thing you can know about God's will. He wants you involved in service for Him. Usually that's through the local church. And I have people who play the game all the time who say, well, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, 
No, get in there and start doing something, and God will realize the details to you as you grow. I'll be honest. If God told me where I would have ended up when I first started, it would have scared me to death. When you walk with God faithfully, you want to obey God and do anything He tells you to do, whether it's a big thing like killing a giant or it's a little thing like tending sheep. If your answer to God is always yes before He asks a question, you're walking with God faithfully. And you will be a person after God's own heart. Here's the second thing. You also have to wait on God patiently. One of the marks of a person who walks with the Lord is that person is willing to wait on the Lord. Not only are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do, but you're also willing to do it when He wants you to do it. Saul, who was king had made two big mistakes. And after he made the second mistake, it, it was for God the last straw. He not only did what God expressly told him not to do, but he did it because he wasn't willing to wait on God to do it. Here's the situation. The Israelites were mortal enemies with the Philistines. And the Philistines came to fight Israel, and I mean they were loaded for bear. They had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. They had more soldiers that you could count on a hand calculator. And the Israelites were scared to death. When they saw the size of that army, man, they, they were hiding everywhere. They were hiding in caves. They were hiding any, behind any bush they could find, behind any rock. Every cistern, every pit they could climb into. I mean, they hid, and as soon as they got a chance, they hightailed it back across the River Jordan. And the reason they did that is they knew the Philistines couldn't swim. So Saul knew, hey, i got to have God's help. There's no way we can survive a battle with this army unless I've got God's help. Saul also knew it was the job of Samuel the priest to offer up sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord to make sure the Lord were on, was on their side. See, the rules were plain. The king was to rule the kingdom, and the priest was to offer the sacrifice. And we're still in 1 Samuel 13. You, you, you read these words. I mean, Saul had waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel had not come to Gilgal yet. And Saul's men started scattering. They started saying, we're not going to fight those guys. We're going back home. So he said, verse 8, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Now to us, that may not seem like a big thing today. I mean, the king fired up the grill, and he barbecued the meat before the priest could get there and do it. What's the big deal? Well, it was a big deal because when you don't wait on God, you're really saying you don't trust God. You don't believe God's going to come through. And any time you don't trust God, that's a big deal. How many times do you know someone married the wrong person because they wouldn't wait on God to bring them the right person? How many times has someone taken the wrong job 
because they wouldn't wait on God to open up the right job. How many times has someone bought the wrong thing because they wouldn't wait on God to provide the right thing? Now, I want to give you a thought that I hope will be super glued to your heart. Whenever you take your life into your own hands, you're taking God's hands off your life. You see, if what God did, if, if, if what Saul did was to come before the court of the law today, what Saul did wouldn't have been declared illegal. It wouldn't have even been declared unethical. But all Saul did was make his own personal declaration of independence from God. And God knew that Saul wasn't going to wait to do what God wanted him to do. He was going to do whatever he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. But David, who was a man after God's heart, had this attitude. Tell us in Psalm 25, 1, And you, Lord my God, I will put my trust. In Psalm 25, 3, No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Now here's something you may not realize about David. When God told Samuel to tell David when he was a shepherd boy that he was going to be king, David had to wait 14 years for that to happen. And those were 14 hard years. Years of tending sheep out in the desert. Of fighting giants nobody else would fight. Of being put on a, a hit list by the king you're going to replace. Of running for your life because the king wanted to kill you. And the enemies you made mad by killing their hero. All that time, for 14 years, David was saying, In the Lord my God I put my trust. Because no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. And after, if you're after God's own heart, see, you'll not only walk with the Lord faithfully, but you'll wait on God patiently. And then here's the last thing. You're going to witness to God truthfully. Now let's go back to Saul for just a moment. He got his hand caught in the cookie jar. You ever got your hand caught in the cookie jar? I mean, he was caught red-handed. He had flat out disobeyed God and it was nobody's fault but his own. Listen to what he says in verses 11 and 12. What have you done? asked Samuel. And Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering, that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. He did what we're all great at doing when the chips are down and our backs against the wall. He started making excuses. Somebody said this, and uh, I, I don't know who said it, but I've remembered it. An excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. On the other hand, we're told this about David in Psalm 78, verses 70, 71, and 72. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them. 
And you hear the magic word there, at least it's a magic word for me. It's the word integrity. There's far too little integrity in the world these days. And that word, that, that word integrity literally means complete, whole. Is. See, it's what you are when nobody's looking. It's telling the truth when everybody else lies. I want you to remember this. You can't fake it with God. And when you are someone after God's heart, you're going to always witness to God truthfully. If you fall, you won't blame somebody for tripping you. If you take the wrong road, you won't blame somebody for changing the sign. When you mess up, you won't blame somebody else for causing a mess. Remember, we're always under oath when it comes to God. And we're always to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. So here's what I want us to remember. This is the point of the whole story. God chooses who He uses. And He starts with the heart. A great verse of Scripture is in Second Chronicles 16.9. That verse says, Do you know who God is after? He is after people who is after Him. Now, God's not looking for a perfect heart. He's looking for a pure heart. And let me tell you that when you have a heart for God, you're always going to have a heart for God's Son. <laughs> Man's heart is, we're told, through his stomach. The way to God's heart is through his Son. And God is willing to make a, a king out of any man and a queen out of any woman who will put their trust in the King of Kings as their Lord and Savior. Let me share a story with you that, uh, to me, is a, an amazing story. It's a true story. It's one of the most amazing true stories I've ever come across. It took place in uh, New York City. At 6 minutes to 6 p.m., John Blanford is standing in Grand Central Station. His heart is racing because in the next six brief minutes, he's going to meet the woman who captured his heart. Now, the interesting thing is he'd never seen her. He never actually heard her voice. He'd never spoken to her. John Bradford was in the military, and right before he was to be shipped overseas, he went to the library and checked out a book. And in that book, he saw the book was littered with personal notes. And those notes just kind of captured his heart. And he found out the name of the lady who had the book before him was a lady by the name of Hollis Monell. You remember when you used to go to the library and check out a book, you had to write your name on a card? That's how he got her name. And then he did a little bit of uh, searching, and he found her address. I mean, he had to find this woman whose, whose words were uh, so attractive to him. He found it so attractive. So he got her address, but he didn't get her address before he got shipped overseas. And so he got her address, and he started writing her. And he, he would write her, and she would respond. For the next 13 months while he was overseas, they corresponded back and forth. For the whole 13 months, she refused his request to send a, a photograph of herself. She says, if your feeling has any basis for reality at all, what I look like won't matter. 
And when you come to New York, then you can see me, and then you can make your decision. And remember, both of us are, are free to stop or go, whichever we choose. So they'd agreed the meeting place, Grand Central Station, 6 o'clock. And the way that she was going to be identified to him was she would have a red rose on her lapel. At one minute to six, he sees this beautiful woman moving towards him. And his heart just leaped. I mean, she was young. She was slender. She had blonde hair, blue eyes. She was just gorgeous. But he noticed she wasn't wearing a red rose. She got right upside to of him and, and, and smiled and said, Go in my way, soldier. And he took one step closer towards her and noticed over her sh sh shoulder, Hollis Monell was just a few feet behind this beautiful lady. Now, she was wearing a, a red rose on her lapel. She was well into her 40s. She already had a lot of gray hair. She was overweight. I, I can relate to this because my mom always fussed about this. She had thick ankles who were tucked over low-heeled shoes. And so as he's looking at Hollis Maynell, the beautiful young lady walked away, and Branford felt like he was being torn in two. On the other hand, he wanted to follow that beautiful lady, yes, but on the other hand, it was the words of this unattractive woman who'd so completely captured his heart. So he gripped a copy of the book. He'd gone back to the library and got it again. That was how he would identify himself to her. And he realized, mm, probably what I share with this woman may not be what I would share with that beautiful lady who just walked by. But it would be special. So with a little bit of a twinge of disappointment, he squared his shoulders, and he held out the book. He says, I'm Lieutenant John Blanford, and you're Mrs. Manel. I'm so glad to meet you. May I take you to dinner? And the woman smiled at him and said, Son, I don't know what this is all about, but the young lady who just walked by you begged me to wear this red rose on my coat, and she said, if she asked me to go with you, I should tell you she's waiting for you in the restaurant across the street. She said it was a test of your heart. You know, I've uh, never seen Jesus Christ. I, I've, I've looked at pictures. I've read all the stuff about the Shroud of Turin. I've done all that. But I don't know what Jesus looks like. All we have is, uh, is images of what people think he looks like. I've never really I've never heard Jesus' voice. I don't know what he sounds like. Now, I have had times where his presence is so strong with me that his impression upon my life has been verbal, but I didn't hear a voice. I just knew it was God talking to me. So I've never seen him. I don't know what he sounds like. I have no idea what he looked like when he was here on earth. I'm not sure what he really looks like in heaven. But I do know this. I've seen enough. I've heard enough. And I know enough to love him with all of my heart.
And when I pray, I'm praying to the one that I love with all of my heart. And I believe if you have that same unction, that same desire, that makes you a person after God's own heart, just like David was. Are you that person after God's own heart today? Are you God's heartthrob? Because more than anything else, you want to walk with God faithfully. You're going to wait on Him patiently. And you're going to witness to Him truthfully. Our hymn of decision, our hymn of invitation this morning, hymn 450, I Need Thee Every Hour. That kind of sums up the person who's a person after God's own heart. It's someone who realizes, I need Him every hour. I need Him every minute. I need Him every second. And if you're here today, praise God for that wonderful fact that He's always there for you. And if you're here today and you realize, no, I'm not there, but I want to be. This invitation time is for you. And you can make that decision right where you stand as we get ready to sing. Or if you want me to come pray with you about that or anything else. If you realize that you can't be a person after God's own heart because you haven't given your heart to Jesus, that's where it starts. God brought you here today so you can make that decision. Let's stand and sing. listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.